Welcome to the Cumberland Road Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Milanowski. We're having good conversations about our faith journey and merging our love for God and people into action. Today, we have with us my good friend, Cardelia Howell-Diamond. She's an ordained minister in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. She is married to Reverend Steve Howell-Diamond. They've got three children, Kai, Sam, and Wyatt. Cardelia, Cardelia has served the church for 21 years in different ministry positions, and currently she's the pastor of the Christ Presbyterian Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and she is leading the community table, a worshiping community in Huntsville as well. But that's not all. She's also the coordinator of women's ministry for the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination. When she has free time, she enjoys reading, crocheting, knitting, and spending time with friends. Currently, Cardelia is very tired. Thank you for joining the podcast today, and um, it's a privilege to be able to to uh, talk with you. So, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you so much for having me on, TJ. It's a, a real pleasure to be able to have this conversation with you this morning. So, I invited you on today to uh, share your faith story and your faith journey and how God has been leading you to your current ministries and where you are today, and uh, your hopes and aspirations for the church today, but also in the future. So let's start with, uh, can you remember or talk about your first encounter with God? I've been thinking about this ever since we initially had a conversation about having this podcast. Um, I usually tell people that I don't remember a time when I didn't know God. Uh, my faith journey began very, very young. I was raised in the Lubbock, Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, my pastor when I was born was Sam Estes, and then his son, George Estes, came and was our pastor for many years. So I was raised um, under their teaching. and have always had a real connection to the church from a very, very young age. I went to Sunday school. I did everything that, you know, kids who are raised in the church do. And at about five years old, um, George went on a trip to Columbia to visit uh, Lynn and spent some time there and he came back to the church and he was so invigorated about ministry and so excited about the work that was being done in Columbia. And that enthusiasm just kind of sucked me in at five years old. And I knew passionately in that moment that I was called to do something with the Cumberland Presbyterian Church as a minister. Um, I don't know what it was exactly that resounded with me, but it was hard and fast and strong. Um, as much as any kid insists that they're going to be a ballerina or a firefighter, I was going to be a preacher. And it was full on from then on. 
Wow. So five years old, you're already grasping this concept of having a relationship with God and that has a calling to it as well. What did your mom and dad think? Um, they thought what a lot of people think when kids are five, that, oh, it's so cute. She wants to be a pastor. Like, that's adorable. She'll grow out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's what most of the people at the church thought as well, that this was just one of those developmental things. And instead of idolizing policemen, I idolized my pastors. And, and so it was just a cute thing and I'd get over it. Um, it stopped being as cute as I got older <laughs> and continued to insist that I had a relationship with God and that God was calling me to service of his church. Um, I remember sitting in George's office when I was six and telling him that I wanted to join the church. But my parents had told me I was too young to join the church. And George agreed that six years old is probably not mature enough to join the church. And so I went to his office several weeks in a row instead of going to Sunday school to talk to him about letting me join the church. And finally, he let me join the um, confirmation class that was going on for the 13 and 14 year olds. I think really believing that that was going to discourage me <laughs> from joining the church at six. Uh, so I went through the class and at seven, said, okay, I've been through the confirmation class. I'm ready to join the church. And I think I just annoyed people into it. Um, they let me join the church at seven. And I was so excited. Like, I remember every detail of that service. I remember standing there with my little white dress and my little white hat and um, being so excited to answer these questions in front of all of the family of God and um, to commit myself to being a part of the church and being a faithful member was the most glorious thing to me. Um, and I'm really thankful I remember it now because I've never joined another church. <laughs> you know, that's my only experience of joining a church is seven. But uh, it really imprinted on me. Um, and I'm grateful to the people of Cumberland Church in Lubbock because they really nurtured my faith from a very young age and didn't discourage me from trying things. And once I got to a point of joining the church, they really opened up the doors of every ministry to me. Um, I was able wow. to train as a Stevens minister when I was 10 years old, went through all the Stevens ministry training, um, got the certificate, um, actually had a couple of people that were my um, my Stevens minister contact. There were a couple other kids in the church, but I mean, it was just a really welcoming experience and prepared me to have a love and a joy of service. So you have the Lubbock church and they have this young, um, young person who's six, seven, ten years old, who's running around and already doing different types of ministries. That is amazing. You were allowed to experiment, I guess, explore um, what ministry is like um, in a safe environment. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was a really, well, I know it was a really unique experience. Um, but the way that everyone just opened up their arms and their hearts and um, they may have said all sorts of things among each other <laughs> or even to my parents to discourage things, but no one was ever negative towards me about my wanting to serve. Um, even whenever I was 16, um, they created a position in the women's ministry of missions chair. So that way I could participate um, and be part of the leadership of CPWM um, because I didn't think I was ready to be president or secretary or anything like that, but they didn't want to discourage me from participating. So, I mean, it was a really great environment to grow and be nurtured in. So you went from being a teenager involved in Cumberland Presbyterian Women's Ministry and then come full circle and here you are the coordinator of the men, uh, of the ministry for the entire denomination. So those those nurturing in those early moments, those early early years really has produced uh fruit and prepared you for where you oh, are absolutely. today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, share, share with us uh, your kind of your teenage years in terms of your faith and how that impacted relationships in junior high and high school and college age and, and also how, how you continue to grow in, in your discipleship and in your ministry, which, you know, led to um, your calling and your, your education as well. There's a song by um, Luke Bryan. And I can't remember the title of the song, but there's this one line that says, I believe youth is spent well on the young because wisdom in your teens would be a lot less fun. Um, I had wisdom <laughs> as a teen. I knew about consequences and I knew that a lot of things that my peers were doing and a lot of things that I was invited to participate in would not necessarily be the healthiest for me, especially as I knew I was called to ministry. So I held myself to a ridiculous standard of behavior and of, um, of attitude, really. Uh, I was not just a good kid, I was like the good kid. <laughs> um, the kind that was really annoying to everyone else because I was like, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Do you know in 20 years you're going to regret doing that? Um, so that was definitely a different teenage upbringing than a lot of people did. Um, as far as my faith goes, my faith was what helped me survive my teenage years. When I was 13, my godmother was diagnosed with skin cancer for the second time, uh, stage four skin cancer, and began undergoing a process of chemotherapy and surgeries. Um, and that was a really stressful time for me and for my family. Um, she was my mom's best friend, had been my mom's best friend since high school. Uh, she was my best friend's mom. So we were really close to them. 
shortly after her diagnosis, um, I had another had a family member um, diagnosed with AIDS, and he became very ill from the disease. And no one else in the family really was able to comprehend or deal with the diagnosis. Um, I mean, this was in 92, so there was still a real huge stigma and fear surrounding an AIDS diagnosis. So my family, my mom and I kind of took the role upon ourselves to be the ones that were his contact. We were the ones who went and saw him in the hospital. We're the ones who spent time with him. Also that same year, um, another cousin was, um, who was developmentally challenged um, due to an accident. Well, I guess developmentally is not right. He was mentally challenged due to an accident of someone had accidentally shot him in the neck when they were hunting when he was 17. Um, and it had caused some brain damage. Um, at 32 years old, he was an amazing man. Um, he took people who had just been released out of prison into his apartment to give them a place to stay until they could find a place to stay. Um, he had the mental capacities of like a 14 year old, but he loved with an unbelievable love. Um, but he made a bad decision and he let a couple of men come stay with him that through a series of events, uh, they wound up murdering him, um, shot him on his couch. And so from 13 on, there was a lot of grief and a lot of loss. Um, my cousin with AIDS passed away the next year. My godmother passed away when I was 16. Um, I was with her when she passed. Um, and I was with my cousin uh, who died of AIDS moments before he passed. Um, and I think it would have been really easy for me to get caught up in the loss and the fear of all of that if I hadn't had such a strong connection to God and such a strong hope that or an understanding, I guess, that death is a part of life. That it is not something that we avoid, but it is something that's part of how we live. And we can learn a lot from those experiences uh, of witnessing others in death and witnessing others deal with grief and loss. And I think some of the most blessed moments that I've had were being able to be with the family um, when these events occurred and being able to be fully present and listen to their stories and be able to share my own story of my love and my loss. Um, but those, those events, um, cemented my relationship with God in a way that might not have happened otherwise, um, but also informed my faith in a way that has allowed me to really naturally slide into the pastoral role when it comes to death and dying. Um, it wasn't something I was ever sheltered from, and 
it's part of my natural lexicon, I guess. So walking with people through that journey um, has been a real privilege to me as a pastor. Yeah, there's something about um, young people being exposed to the life and death situation in the early years that I think provides, you know, kind of a different perspective of of living and um, how finite, you know, things are. And but also being able to watch the adults kind of in the room and around and how they react to the the loss of a loved one as well can really, really Im- impact and shape shape us later on in life. And so instead of fear and running away from death, it, like it sounds like it drew you closer to those who have needs that, that come with the void of the loss of, uh, you know, a loved one. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was a, an unexpected blessing um, that definitely provided me with training that I would not have received if I had not experienced that. Um, I think stepping into my first role as pastor, if I hadn't had some experience personally with loss and grief would have been much more startling. Right. There's a difference between a textbook experience and a real life experience. Definitely. Not just with grief or loss, but just anything. Any anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um where did you go to school? Where did you go to I college? I went to Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. Um I wanted to go anywhere but there. <laughs> that was my last choice of schools. <laughs> Um, just because it was my hometown and everybody thinks they want to get out and get on their own. Um, I was accepted into three other schools, but sat down with my father and I love my dad dearly. He's one of the greatest men I've ever known. Um, And I think I would feel that even if he wasn't my father, but he had a very honest conversation with me. He sat down and he said, you are capable of going anywhere in the world for school. The world is your oyster. It is open to you wherever you want to go is great. But my money is going to Texas Tech University. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't have enough scholarship money from everywhere else. So I went to Texas Tech University. Um, It turns out that it had the number two program in the nation for family studies, which is what I wanted to study. So it was the right place to be. It just happened to be in my backyard. Yeah. What is uh, family studies? So, what is um, my degrees in family studies and human development, which looks at how humans develop physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually from birth to death, and also at family dynamics, um, especially the study of family systems theory, which kind of talks about how families relate to one another and how the system of the family affects the individuals in the family. Um, It was really fascinating work for me. I just fell in love with it instantly and have been able to translate it so much into the church. 
the Cumberland Presbyterian Church often talks about itself as a family. And uh, in fact, every CP church I've served has said, we're a family church, even if they didn't have people related to one another in the congregation. Um, but those systems that families develop, good, bad, and um, neutral, really do affect the decision-making processes of the church, the decision-making processes of the families. Um, boundary work becomes really important. Understanding birth order um, becomes important. Understanding scapegoating and things like that. It's just a wealth of information. I encourage everyone to study family systems theory. It's really, really great stuff. So from high school to college, um, how, how do you see God in, in the midst of your life, your relationship with Christ, and, and your calling into ministry as well? How is that moving and impacting your, your daily life? Um, from high school to college, that's a great question. So by the time I was in high school, my call was really cemented. Um, I was okay. very certain when I was, let's see, 15, I guess I saw a woman preach for the first time and that finished it for me. It was like, okay, this is no longer a pipe dream. It actually happens. That's what I'm doing. Um, so from 15 on, my goal was to get to seminary. So, All right. So you had a clear kind of path vision of here's where I am now and here's where I want to be when my education yes, is completed. Absolutely. Um, Not too many 15 year olds are, have that kind of clarity. No, or vision. no. Um, I'm learning that with my own 15 year old, that that kind of clarity and vision is very rare. Um, he does not have it. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, it was really unusual. I remember being in youth group one day, probably sophomore or junior year of high school. And we were going around talking about what we wanted to study or what we wanted to be when we grew up. And again, I said, I wanted to be a pastor that I was believe at that point I was exclusively using the language. I was called to be a pastor. Um, and okay. the, the youth director walked out of the room for a minute and one of the other boys in the class turned to me and he goes, okay, so the teacher's not here anymore. You can stop kissing up. What do you really want to do? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not kissing up. This is really what I'm called to do. And he was like, okay, whatever. You're like the worst kiss up ever. Um, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty solid. Um, in fact, I started talking to uh, members of the church or church session, asking them when they would be willing to put my name forward as for a candidacy uh, to the ministry when I was junior in high school. Okay, so you you were so um, laser vision oriented that you you've already done the research. You're you're not waiting for somebody to go. Okay, these are the next steps. Oh no no. <laughs> you're you're saying you're saying okay. I know I know that this church needs to recommend me to a presbytery to come under the care of ministry to be ordained to the word yes, and sacrament. Absolutely. 
at, at 16, 15, years, old. 16 yeah. years old. I read the Confession of Faith and the Rules of Discipline and the um, or Directory of Worship. Like, I don't know, like most people read Archie comics. I just was obsessed with it um, because I knew no one was going to tell me what I needed to do when I wanted to know <laughs> because I knew I was technically too young to know. Um, or at least I knew that that was the attitude of some of the people. Um, but I had been exposed to presbytery a lot as a child and as a youth. Um, my parents were both elders in the Lubbock church and they had been delegates to presbytery many times. Um, I grew up in Del Curso Presbytery which was a great presbytery to grow up in um, from Lubbock, stretches from Lubbock, Texas, all the way to San Francisco. And uh, we jokingly called ourselves the Southwest Airlines Presbytery because um, we had meetings wherever Southwest would land. <laughs> but I got to go to lots of different places um, like Albuquerque and San Francisco and um, Tucson and just kind of experience the larger church as a child and as a youth. Um, so I developed relationships with other ministers. Um, one of my greatest influences was Stephen Louie from San Francisco um, and Paul Hom. They were amazing influences and such welcoming men. Um, just opened their arms to me and answered all my questions and encouraged me from a very young age. Um, Vaughn Wilson from Albuquerque was that way too. Just very much. Um, I don't know if it was the novelty of having a child and a youth really want to know what was going on during Presbytery, or if it was just that I was stubborn enough and uh, assertive enough to insist upon knowing what was going on, but it was a really wonderful opportunity for me. So by the time I came under care at 19, I knew what was going on. Wow. So you, you and I first met, um, we were students at Memphis Theological mm -hmm. Seminary. And so you finished up at Texas Tech. You're under the care of ministry. And what, you hop on a plane and fly into Memphis, Tennessee? So How did I, that work? <laughs> I graduated from Texas Tech August. Oh, gosh, I don't even remember the date. It's up on my wall somewhere. But in mid-August 2001, um, and I moved with a U-Haul van and my cat to Memphis, Tennessee, and was there August 24th. So I, I had like a week and a half off before I started seminary. Now you met somebody in seminary while you were I there. I did meet someone in seminary. Um, it's really a fascinating story, although you know it pretty well. But um, <laughs> So 2001, General Assembly, it starts with General Assembly and Convention, and then I'll get to actually being at MTS. But General Assembly and Convention, my mom was a delegate to convention and it meant Odessa, Texas that year. Another woman was a delegate to convention. Um, her name was Gladys Diamond. And they happened to sit next to each other. And the convention speaker said, 
I want you all to spend a moment and introduce yourself to the person sitting next to you. And I want you to tell them something interesting about yourself. So Gladys and Linda um, turned to one another, introduced themselves, and like most moms, um, started sharing about their kids. And Gladys said, my son is starting his last year at Memphis Theological Seminary. And my mom responded with, well, my daughter's about to start Memphis Theological Seminary. And Gladys's response, according to my mother, Gladys says she doesn't remember saying this, but according to my mom, was, is she attached? <laughs> and my mom's response was, yes, but we're working on it, because they hated the guy I was dating. <laughs> so um, they exchanged names, and uh, Gladys went back home and told Steve that he had, she had met someone uh, whose daughter was going to start seminary, and she couldn't remember her name, but it was unusual. And she was from Texas. And Steve got so mad at his mom. Mom, why did, what did you do? What am I going to have to do now? Am I going to have to be friends with this person? Like just beside himself. Uh, my mom came home, couldn't remember Steve's first name, but remembered Diamond, because that's pretty, that sticks in your head. Um, and just said, he's somebody who might be able to show you where it's safe to shop in Memphis. And I was like, fine, whatever. What are the chances that I'm going to meet this person? You know, I had no idea how many students were at MTS. I knew it was a small building, so I knew there wouldn't be a ton of students, but he was in his last year. I was in my first year. I didn't expect us to bump into each other. We'll cut to the first day of school, and I was working as a receptionist for, um, for MTS as a way to help pay my rent to MTS. Um, and I was being trained by another person, Tara Sisko. And Steve walked down the hallway and saw Tara, knew her, said hi, and looked past her and saw me sitting in the office. He said, hey, I don't know you. My name's Steve. I was like, um, I'm Cardelia. He goes, my mom at your mom this summer at General Assembly. It's like, uh, yeah, are you Steve Diamond? He's like, yes, that's me. And I was horribly embarrassed and because, you know, I thought he was cute and I didn't want to think he was cute because that wasn't in my long-term plans. As we established from this conversation, I'm a long-term planner. Um, relationship was not in my long-term plans. I was like, if, if that happens, it'll happen after seminary. So we started talking at breaks and my gosh, we started dating in September. We were engaged by October. We got married the next August. Really? So you arrived to seminary in August and within a year, the mm -hmm. two of you were married? Within a year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah, realize Yeah. It was that. really quick. Um, and I blame some of that. It sounds really weird to say this, but I do. I blame some of that on September 11th um, because that happened right after I got to Memphis and I didn't know anyone except Steve really. Uh, and he stayed on the phone with me that night all night long because I was so scared. And uh, he just reassured me all night long. And yeah, when he asked me to go on a date with him the next week, I was like, yeah, I think so. I think we're good with that. So MTS brought us quite oh, the blessing. Powerful. 
And now you've been married for, oh, what, goodness. 19 years? Um, no, it'll be 18 years this year. Mm-hmm. 18, 18 years. Wow. All right. Uh, share with us some of the places where you have served in terms of ministry and, you know, talk about how also how God is working in your life uh, during these times and in your relationship with Christ. And, you know, did it ebb and flow, and, you know, strengthen? And as you're preparing for ministry and then then you're in ministry and kind of lead up to where uh, where you are now in terms of your relationship with God, but also some of the ministries that you're a part of. Okay. Um, my first job in ministry was youth minister at Lubbock Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Um, they hired me when I was 20 years old. Um, when my brother was a senior in high school in the youth group, which looking back was yeah was like the worst decision ever (laughs) but um i appreciated the opportunity i had been teaching that age group sunday school for several years and it was just kind of a natural progression but hindsight being what it is i don't recommend to any church hiring a youth minister who is not old enough to rent a van um and since I wasn't old enough to be on the insurance, I always had to have an adult rent a van for us. And it was just <laughs> a ridiculous thing. Um, but that was a real um, great experience for me. I got to get my toes wet in doing ministry. There was very little, I want to say oversight, but that's probably not the right word. I had freedom to pick what we were going to study and what we were going to do and to plan events that I thought would be meaningful. Um, I was kind of given carte blanche, to be honest, with the youth group. There, There was a lot of trust I'd already established with the session and things like that. So it really gave me an opportunity to be creative and to explore how this ministry thing worked. Um, It was a really unique situation because it was also a shared youth ministry position with the First Presbyterian PCUSA Church in our town. So I, we had a joint youth group between the two congregations. So I had offices at both churches. I, uh, we alternated meetings at the two churches. Um, I got to see how the PCUSA Church functioned, and or at least in that, that particular congregation. And I also got to be exposed to Cumberland. So it was a really, a really unique experience. Um, And I got to have some really good theological discussions with the PCUSA minister that was there. Um, Just kind of the differences between Cumberland's and PCUSA and um, different processes and things like that. So I learned a lot through that experience. Uh, Then when I went on to seminary, I filled in um, preaching at a lot of different churches, which is kind of normal for seminary students. Um, I think I went to Pine Grove in Arkansas the most, but I also went to Paragold 
and somewhere in Mississippi, you know, I don't remember the name of that church, but I got the opportunity to preach at different small congregations, um, and that was a real blessing for me. Um, I knew that God had called me into the pastorate. Um, I did not have the real experience of preparing sermons or of delivering sermons until I got to seminary. And I found such a connection to God in studying for sermons, in processing scripture, in sharing the insights and thoughts uh, that had come during my study with others. Um, and I found that that's really where my passion was, was in preaching. And I developed that passion during seminary. Um, let's see, I went on to work as the children's director at Mullins United Methodist Church during seminary for a couple of years. And that was my only, well, Lubbock technically was a multi-staff church, but really it was just me as a part-time youth director and Pat Driscoll as the pastor. Um, but Mullins had several staff members. So it was a 300, 400-member church, um, lots of staff, a youth director, a music minister. They had their own preschool. So it was a great exposure to a different world. Um, a multi-staff church is a completely different animal. And uh, I was challenged in that. I had to learn a lot about Methodist belief you know, because I was teaching their kids. And um, it really kind of solidified my faith in Cumberlandism. <laughs> um, I'm a big whosoever will person. And um, I don't like the thought of losing salvation. So um, but that was a challenge. While I was there, um, and in my final year of seminary, we uh, found out we were expecting our first child. So okay. had our first child the last week of finals. Um, yeah, oh, wow. I don't recommend taking a, a foreign language when you're pregnant. My Greek has suffered, I'll be honest. But um, it was a great opportunity to be able to parent and have a daycare like right downstairs. Um, so she could, or he could come with us um, come with me to work, and it was great. Um, from there, my husband and I were called to co-pastor a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that's where I got my calling to be ordained. So we went there for not quite two years, and then moved on to Winchester, Tennessee, um, where my husband was called to pastor Goshen, Cumberland Presbyterian Church, um, and then I was called to be the associate pastor at Manchester Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I was there five years um, and then got the call to come to Huntsville and pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church. We've been here seven years. So it's been a little bit of a jig and a jag and a jog. Uh, we have kids from every region of Tennessee. Uh, one in Memphis, one in Knoxville, and one in uh, Murfreesboro. But throughout that time, faith 
really was an anchor like it had been throughout the rest of my life. Um, there are so many challenges in ministry, um, some that I knew to expect and some that I had no clue about. Um, but through it all, remembering that I was trying to serve God and not man and trying to fulfill God's purposes was really helpful. Um, I had some really dark times. We had a really difficult time at one of our pastorates and um, wound up needing therapy and um, medical assistance for depression. I went on antidepressants um, because the stress was so much and I couldn't handle it very well. And part of that was being pregnant or having postpartum at that time. But part of it was just being overwhelmed and not really having the support network that I needed. Um, but God was always a presence for me. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like all sunshine and rainbows, like, oh, God's always been there for me and yay. Um, it's very much been a relationship like a psalmist has had with God where he, I've cried out and said, you know, what are you doing to me? Why have you left me in the face of my enemies? And uh, But I always get that reminder at the end of, but your, your steadfast love endures forever. Um, then, you know, ministry is challenging and and a, a lonely can be a lonely profession and you pile on top of that struggles and obstacles and things like that and trying to find find outlets to to vent and to care for yourself and for your family can be tough and if you don't have that foundation in terms of faith things can really be Absolutely. shook uh, and one of the biggest things that's been a blessing or a, a lesson for me is I've developed friendships outside of the church and that's been a huge help um, because there are certain boundaries with church members that you don't need to cross uh, and so you need that support that you can go to and really just let everything out um, without fear of oh no their husband's a session member or they're on my personnel committee or whatever. Um, right. So that's been a, a good thing that we have here in Huntsville. Um, and Huntsville's been a great experience for us. Um, we moved down here because I felt called to get back into the pastorate full time. Um, I had been an associate pastor and I enjoyed that, but really missed preaching just was not feeling fulfilled and when we got the opportunity to come to Christ Church definitely felt God was opening that door for me again and so when we came to visit it was like coming home it was a really wonderful experience and I had no idea what life was going to throw at us once we got here and had no idea that at this point, seven years later, I'd be doing two churches and 
coordinating a women's ministry of the denomination. Um, I think maybe if I'd known that, I might have run screaming because <laughs> it's a lot. Um, yeah. But it's been amazing to watch them all develop. So you are balancing three different ministries. You have the Christ Church, and then you have a, a worshiping community called um, Community mm -hmm. Table, and then then you're the coordinator of the Cumberland Presbyterian Women's Ministry. So uh, share share with us a little bit about the Community Table and, and being a coordinator for um, a, a ministry that covers an entire denomination um wow so the community table is probably my passion right now uh, my passion project it evolved incredibly naturally through a group of women who met together to craft with one another once a week um, and this particular group had been meeting together at least 10 years before I was invited to participate. And when I was invited to step in and join them, it was just a group of women. I had met one of them at the dojo where my kids did um, Aikido. And she invited me to come spend some time with them. And I went, and the more time I spent, the more I realized that they were caring for one another in ways that a craft group probably normally wouldn't care for one another. Um, they they were um, preparing meals for one another when someone went to the hospital. They were taking care of each other's kids. They were discussing issues of God and uh, discussing where God was leading them. Um, even though not all of them were from the same faith backgrounds. Um, in fact, a couple of them would honestly say that they had no faith background, but were interested in, in spirituality. And the more time that I spent with them, the more it became clear to me that there was a potential there for a church. Um, I wasn't really sure what that was going to look like. I wasn't really sure how that was going to happen. But that feeling just kept bubbling up over and over again. And um, it bubbled up so much that I called you <laughs> and said, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> but this group, we've decided to do Bible study together. Um, at that point, we were beginning to invite spouses and children to participate. Um, and I could just tell that it was growing into something more than just a friend group gathering to chat about faith. You're still doing the, the knitting, yes. correct? And then now you're meeting, you're meeting additionally. So right, we were you, still meeting. The knitting the, the craft still group going stuff on. was still going on. Um, not everyone from the craft group decided to participate in the Bible studies, which was perfectly fine. Um, so we had craft night Tuesday nights and uh, Bible study Monday nights. And slowly it began to progress to, you know, it'd be really great if we could worship together. Um, several of them were not happy with their current congregations. 
and they were not meeting their needs, I guess. That sounds really, I don't like that phrase. Um, they were in a different place spiritually than where their congregations were. And they needed a space where they could be open and honest about their faith and their beliefs and about their desire for inclusivity of all people. And so we began praying about meeting together for worship. And eventually it came to a point where I could no longer say no. <laughs> so um, we started worshiping together Easter of 2019. Um, our first worship service was the Monday after Easter 2019 and have worshiped together faithfully every Monday, almost every Monday since. Unlike some other worshiping communities or new churches or new church developments, uh, which often kind of begin with the, the leader, yours is quite the opposite. You have this group of people who sound like they're pushing you into, instead of you gathering, you have a group of people who are going, hey, I need yes, more. Absolutely. This was a group that I want I want substance. I need more than just study. I need a place to worship and glorify God. Right. I mean Which often it's, you know, the other way around. Often it's, you know, a leader or a couple leaders who are okay, now we need to find folks. You actually have a group of people going, Thank you for knitting, thank you for crafting. Thank you for helping us in a Bible study. I, right. We want more. <laughs> um, it was a very unique, it is a very unique experience to have such a group-led dynamic. Um, and it very much was, I mean, I have found out later that several of them would gather and have conversations and prayer over whether or not to ask me to lead the group. And prayer for me as I was discerning what I could do and what I felt called to do. Um, and it's amazing to me to have a group that while they've, several of them have been really hurt by churches in the past, um, they still have such a hunger for Jesus and such a desire to dive into God's word and to worship that they weren't going to let anything, even me being slightly reluctant, stop them. <laughs> Uh, and they're still that way. They're still very, very, very driven to do more and to be more. And um, they continue to push me beyond where I'm comfortable all the time. And uh, for the most part, it's really great. <laughs> How has the community table adapted to um, the pandemic? You know, you've got a young group um, that is. Uh, you know, about mm -hmm. a year old, not even quite a year old, and then the world sort of gets turned upside down. Um, how how did your how did your group how did this worshiping community adjust? They were real champs. They jumped into the idea of doing Zoom instantly. I mean, before Christchurch decided to close. Um, or close in-person worship. We didn't actually close because the church continued to work and worship together. Uh, but before Christchurch went online, the community table said, 
we need to go online, we need to be safe. Um, and they dove into it headfirst, um, set up their computers in their kitchen tables so the whole family could watch or um, outside in the backyard so you got kids jumping on the trampoline while we were doing Bible study. And uh, they've just been amazing. And throughout this time where I was really afraid, because like you said, they're a new group. And the thought of a challenge like COVID is something that really could break even an established congregation. Um, they have blossomed during this time. In fact, they've started inviting people to join us uh, for Monday night time together. Um, in fact, this past Monday, <laughs> we had people in Indiana and Iowa worshiping with us um, who are searching for a faith community and searching for a place where they can feel safe and loved, um, but haven't been able to find it in their own local communities. And so they've joined us, this little group from Huntsville, Alabama. So That's amazing. It's amazing how, you know, word of mouth, you know, is really a powerful medium in terms of, you know, promoting things that we're passionate about, things that we enjoy, things that are crucial and important to us. Uh, so not only Christchurch, not only the community table, but also coordinator for the Cumberland Presbyterian Women's Ministry. How's that going? <laughs> and what, and just briefly describe also, um, you know, what that is and what that entails. So coordinator of women's ministry is a position that helps, well, direct and plan on a denominational level the scope of women's ministry in our church. Um, it's been led for the past 12 years by Pam Phillips-Bark, who was amazing um, and is an amazing woman, but she was really dedicated to women's ministry and has done so much to help uh, women's ministry become what it is now. And so I'm really grateful to her for her leadership and her um, hand-holding as I started the job a year ago. and um, But really, it's the biggest responsibility I have every year is planning convention and um, planning the focus of women's ministry for the year. So this past, this year, um, we didn't have convention. And so a lot of uh, the work and effort that I did leading up to June um, was not really utilized. Um, I hope that it will be. There's plans for next year and we're keeping the same theme. And so there's some things that will be able to be used next year, but that's really been a struggle uh, for me personally, in that you're so focused on one direction and you know that this is the goal is convention. And then the amount of time it took to decide we were going to have to pivot, um, then actually pivoting <laughs> has been a real 
a real struggle. Um, it's professionally a little dissatisfying, but also there's been some questions to God of, okay, what was the purpose of this? Why are we having to pull a full stop? Like, what am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to teach? What am I supposed to hear from this? Um, and I don't have a lot of answers to that yet, to be honest, which is not the most comfortable place for me to sit. Um, I've always liked to get answers. Uh, I've always questioned, and I've usually been pretty patient at the answers. Um, but I'm at a point where I'm not as patient with those answers right now. <laughs> those questions are still hanging mm -hmm. in the air. You know, we're still not entirely sure what's the rest of the year is going to look like. Um, will will uh, regions have regional retreats? Will we recommend for them to have regional retreats? Um, I can't honestly say that I feel safe recommending that right now. So there's a lot up in the air. And it's not the most comfortable place to sit. Well, if anything, the COVID-19 has forced us to kind of slow down. And I would imagine it'd be, it's pretty difficult on planners. Uh, for those who plan and thinking two, three, four, six months or more further on down the road, then, you know, there are no Absolutely. guarantees. So on a, on a regional level and even on a local level, just some of the feedback in terms of, you know, women's ministry, how are things going in, in, in places that you've been able to keep contact and communication? On a local level, um, I have not heard of very many women's ministries that have started meeting again. Um, part of that is because right now it's summer and a lot of women's ministries just don't meet during the summer. They start back up in uh, August or September. But I think I've heard of maybe 10 churches that, are, that started back, and most of them started back just this month, uh, meet, had their first meeting. Um, the regions have not had any meetings yet. I'm still trying to contact all of them. I have a lovely email newsletter to go out um, to the regions and to talk about the fact that we're going to stick with the same theme, uh, walking in love for this year. Um, normally, we release a Bible study that's based on the theme each year. Uh, however, the Bible studies that we had written this year were for next the next theme. So what we're right. doing, and I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a really good idea, but maybe that's just because it was mine and I'm feeling proud of myself. <laughs> uh, we're having different Let's clergy women uh, throughout the denomination do a devotional video. And so for each month, there'll be a different video devotional released um, for women's ministry to supplement the Bible study. So it's on the same texts as last year's Bible studies were, but it's a completely different devotional. So our first one will be for August, and uh, Reverend Peggy Jean Craig has done that one for us. 
and um where can we find these videos once they get posted these, um, these devotions will be on the um women's ministry facebook page they're going to be posted to youtube and i will also be sending them out through a um, emma mailing each month just as a here's a heads up this is the one for each month um and I'm, I'm really excited. PJ's was great. So I can't wait to see what everybody else does. Um, but it's, it's something different. We haven't ever done a video series like this. So, uh, but most of the clergy women I talked to were really excited about the possibility of doing something um, that a broader audience of women could receive and um, a medium that works for us right now. Right. Yeah, we there's some limitations in in terms of and we're yes. having to be creative, which is actually exciting, kind of fun to be able to try things and see if it works and learn and um reach different people at the same time or reach you know the same people or family as mm -hmm. you had mentioned earlier in a different way and uh, being able to adjust and adapt. Uh, humans are we're great at adapting um, when we're receptive to that. I think we do really well. You know, we kind of fall into a routine. Things get turned upside down and shook out. And, you know, we complain about it and gripe <laughs> and moan and then go, okay, well, it's not so bad. I still have to still have to go to work, still have to eat, still have to, you know, move forward. And, and I think we adapt well. And we find out the very things that scared us so much really weren't too Absolutely. bad after all. Um, I was talking to Steve, my husband, about this the other day, um, just kind of how everything has been turned upside down. Um, it reminds me of when I moved to Memphis for the first time, and I had a panic attack driving down the streets of Memphis because I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, where if you've never been there, it is flatter than a table. You can see 10 miles in every direction. There's no obstruction to your view. Um, and the roads are straight. It's on a grid. So it's very well laid out. Um, but when I moved to Memphis and the road would disappear in front of me. And I would have no idea if it was going to go straight or if it was going to turn. I was going to go over a hill and have no idea what was coming up next. Um, and that's how I felt a part of the season that the road is just hilly and up and down and sharp lefts and sharp rights where I'm like, okay, I really want my straight 10 mile stretch. God, <laughs> like give me that rest <laughs> um, for just a few miles and then you can throw another turn at me. But part of that is the adventure and part of that is just, you know, you want to get back to, um, our faith, you know, there are twists and turns in, in the road, um, metaphorically and spiritually and mm -hmm. literally and, and being able to kind of, you know, constant reflect on, okay, where is God in, in the midst of this and, and, um, what's around the next bend and, <laughs> and, and over the hill and, and be able to, you know, continue to seek and search, but also enjoy the ride as well. Um, because if we're journeying with God, 
and we have that relationship, then, you know, you've got that to, to vent and, but also find faith and encouragement along the way that the unknown has always been there. You know, we don't know what the, the rest of the day is going to bring. Um, and, and, but finding comfort in that and finding some solace in that, that, okay, so it has been, it's always been that way. It has never really been faced with it right. before. <laughs> Or thought of it in, in that particular exactly. way. There's been some illusion that I knew what the map was before. And uh, God's reminding me that, An illusion. you know, I've, I've got this. <laughs> you need to stop trying to pilot and just relax and enjoy it. Um, so, you know, looking, looking at the, the church um, today, presently, but also in the future, what, what are some aspirations and hopes that you have? for the rest of the year, but even further on down the road? I think, I think I'm going to approach this from a couple different ways. Um, one for the Cumberland Church. So for the denomination as a whole, what I pray, what I hope, um, is that we can really come to a sense of unity, not uniformity. I don't expect us all to be the same, um, look the same, act the same. That's boring <laughs> and also not what the church is called to be. But I would love for us to really have a sense of unity of purpose and unity um, in our faith and in our journey, realizing that that we're on the same on the same journey together to lead people to Christ, to experience Christ, to worship Christ, um, and not to let things keep us so separate. I feel like there's been a real, just like in our nation, there's been a real divide lately. And I I would like to see us find unity. Um, and for me, part of that involves I would love unification of our denomination and the CPCA denomination. Um, it has become increasingly difficult to really, in all honesty, explain to my kids why we have two different denominations when we have the same faith statements and the same rules and everything else. It's um, it's discouraging to me that we haven't unified yet. So long-term goals is for that definitely to happen. For women's ministry, my hope and prayer is that women would begin really seeing their gifts um, I think sometimes women's ministry can get relegated to that's just something the old women do. Um, that's not for me. I'm not 65 yet. Or that's not for me. That's something that, you know, the people who organized baby showers do. <laughs> and I really want it to be seen as more than that. Um, to recognize the gifts that women specifically have 
in ministry and have to build one another up. Um, I know as the church in general became more and more accessible to women, as leadership in the church became more accessible to women, uh, women's ministry at times got put on the back burner. And I feel like it's equally important to have women on the session and to have women in women's ministry. Uh, they're, they're two different avenues and they're wonderful valued avenues. Um, so that's my hope for women's ministry. For local churches, my hope is that they would be creative and that they would find their purpose. I'm a strong believer that each congregation has a purpose, that there is a reason they exist. And um, I'm also a strong believer that that is not to be a country club. <laughs> um, you have a calling. You as individuals have a calling, but you as a congregation have a calling. There is a ministry, there is a work that you are called to do as a church. And I want churches to find that, find that passion, find that calling, and pursue it with everything that they are, even when it terrifies them. Um, because I feel like that's how we fulfill being the church in the world. Thank you for sharing and being with us today, Cardelia. I appreciate you sharing your faith story and your journey, the struggles and the joys and those hills and those valleys. Um, where, can, where can we find out more about you and your ministry and what you're doing? Um, well, I suppose you could follow Christ Presbyterian Church on uh, Facebook, uh, Christ CPC Monrovia is uh, their handle on Facebook. Uh, I do daily devotionals there, um, especially during this time of quarantine. Uh, we've done those pretty regularly. And I guess just on Facebook is really the best way to reach me right now. <laughs> okay. Um, how about uh, coordinator? For women's ministry, you want to point yes. us in any particular area, anything you want to promote that's going so, on? You've got devotions, devotions coming, are coming up, out. Um, we are preparing for um, to send out some information on regional things like that. So um, if you are not already on the CPWM mailing list and you would like to be, you can contact me at chd. Um, at cumberland.org uh, that's my email address and we will make sure that you're included in that information um, also follow the women's ministry of the cumberland presbyterian church on facebook and we will be putting out new information very soon and um, we also always have information up on the cumberland presbyterian website which is cpcmc.org Thank you, Cardelia Howell Diamond, coordinator of Cumberland Presbyterian Women's Ministry, minister of the Christ Church, 
right outside of Huntsville, Alabama, and also the minister of a worshiping community called the Community Table, mother, pastor, friend, companion, a busy person. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. And I hope you found our travels fun. Tell a friend and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road. Thank you, TJ.